The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. The Athletic. Instead of taking up that gym membership that you wouldn't use even if the gyms were open, how's about subscribing to The Athletic for just £4 a month as a New Year's resolution? You'll get unrivaled football coverage with analysis and in-depth features from the very best writers around, exclusive Q&As with Athletic staff and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts, including this one. Find out more and sign up today at theathletic.com slash totally. Totally Football Show, European Edition. Here with all your big bum Latina needs. Today, Bayern messing with your mites. Milan with that winning feline. And sexy goals galore. Plus all the other stuff that happened while you were living it up this weekend. Very likely international sounding transfer rumours. And clear your Wednesday night for Milan Juve. You won't regret it. It's the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener. Happy New Year to you. Buon anno. Guys, you want to chip in with some international variants of that? Frohes Neues. There you go. Buon anno. Good. That's enough. Uh, those, the continental uh, voices of Julien Laurent, Raphael Honigstein, Alvaro Romeo, and of course, Yorkshire's very own James Horncastle. Yorkshire's very own. Yes. Good day to you all. They kept the receipt. Now, uh, I'm excited to say that Germany, Spain and Italy all have their football leagues back in action. Uh, France, with Ligue 1, returns tomorrow, Jules, n'est-ce pas? Tout à fait, tout à fait, James. Okay, and we've already had, in the aforementioned league, some goal of the year contenders. Woof. Perhaps in the course of today's podcast, we can decide which was the sexiest goal of the weekend. I reckon it's going to be a heated debate. No one can beat Erwin Magic Cardona. Impossible. I challenge you all here, bless you, Rafa, to come and challenge my Cardona. What about Nadim Amiri's goal? Yeah, well. Ah, mm-hmm. That was good. That was good. I don't think uh, any of these would actually get into the top five goals in Serie A this weekend. Oh, my God. Right. the standard. Well, we'll discuss those goals and much more in the course of today's show. Let's begin with your moments of the weekend. Alvaro, lead us away. It has to be Luis Suarez scoring for Atletico in the last minute in the game against Alaves uh, to give a victory for Atletico. Uh, they are just at the minute pretty much unstoppable. And yeah, uh, it makes you wonder uh, whether letting Luis Suarez go on the chip was a, bit, a good business for Barcelona. Obviously not, mm. but this is turning catastrophic for Barcelona and really good for Atletico de Madrid. Right, nine goals in his 12 appearances so far, Luis Suarez. Uh, Rafa, what's your moment of the weekend? Moment of the weekend. Hmm. We'll come back to you. Come James, to what me. have you got? Well, uh, there's lots, actually. I mean, I'll pick one, though, because we'll get to the others. But, um, yeah, in Serie A, it has to probably be 
uh, Antonio Conte shouting from the sidelines to Arturo Vidal, shut the F up and play after he gave a penalty away, uh, which seemed that it was going to compromise Inter's uh, afternoon. Instead, they romped home and won 6-2 and have now won eight in a row in uh, Serie A. So breathing down Milan's necks. Indeed. Jules, do you get a moment of the weekend? Yes, I did. I mean, it's, it's a bit before the weekend, but it was Raymond Domenech's uh, first training session uh, as a non-manager when some of the non-fans who were obviously against him taking over and against the, uh, the owner, uh, Valdemar Kita, who I should remind everyone has a, a comestic surgery a business, including a penis enlargement. If you, if you think that your manhood is too small, you can always go and see Kita. What about too big? <laughs> I'm sure they can, they can they can work on that for you, Rafa. Um, but those fans are really unhappy. So they, they came to the uh, training ground. They stayed behind the fence. So they were not uh, in, intrusive or anything. Mm. But they had a big ghetto plaster when they played this uh, circus music. You know when you've got a circus in town? Yes. And, uh, and they played that while the players were training with Domenech, saying that Nantes was the Kita Circus and that all the players were rubbish and Domenech was rubbish. It was really, really funny, to be fair. Not that the players found it funny or people at the club, but it was, um, it, it was a good, good way of celebrating Raymond Domenech's first day in charge. All right, OK. And Rafa, nice to hear you, you inquiring about cosmetic surgery for a change. What was your moment of the weekend? <laughs> it was... <laughs> It was a, a real edge-of-the-seat moment, James, when Jadon Sancho scored his first goal in the Bundesliga since the end of May. Wow. And, and a fine effort it was, too. I've got a moment from the weekend in Portugal as well, by the way, because Edgar Davids is the new coach of Olhanense in the uh, Portuguese third division. wonder what he's going to be like as a coach, the old pit bull. How are they doing, James? What was behind the sacking of the previous man? <laughs> What did you think of the last game? As we can see in the uh, Campeonato de Portugal Prio, as the uh, their third division is called, um, they uh, find themselves actually. Wow, it's 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 actually a, uh, it's 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 one of those uh, leagues that is 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 split into. I think. Uh, wow, uh, the list just goes on and on. I think as as, as many as eight <laughs> groups. And Olhanense a fifth in, in Group H. Um, they've only got 12 points from six games. They, right. they, they, they evidently need to do, to do much better than that. David, so never relegated as a manager in Portugal. So <laughs> that's behind that, um, that thinking. Well, the insight continues now as we begin our roundup. Uh, and we start off in Italy ahead of one of the biggest fixtures of the continental season, tomorrow in Milan. The Totally Football Show European Edition's Moment of the Weekend, brought to you by Paddy Power. Defences may be looking shaky at the moment, but Paddy's offers are rock solid. If one leg of your 4-plus fold acker lets you down, get a free bet. Max free bet £10, minimum odds 1-5 to five per leg, online exclusive, no shot bets, T's and C's apply, in plus begambleaware.org. Attenzione, Rebic prova ad andar via, lo ferma, Rugani, il pallone che scivola, tra i piedi di Leao, in area di rigore, Leao, 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 destro! Incredibile, ha segnato il Milan! Ed è passato in vantaggio il Milan! Well... It was a cracker when Milan met Juventus last summer, 4-2. And these two teams coming face-to-face again at San Siro this Wednesday night. Everything to suggest that this could be pretty special. Milan are still the only unbeaten team in Europe's top five leagues. Their latest triumph coming this weekend with just 10 men 
against one of their former legends and featuring one of the goals of the season, surely. A Juventus, meanwhile, of course, have Cristiano Ronaldo in fine form and are also coming off a fat win this weekend. James? Yeah, although neither team were particularly convincing, I would say, at the weekend. Uh, that 4-1 uh, win that uh, Juventus had was flattering. It certainly wasn't as convincing as the one that they put in against Parma um, in, what, the penultimate game before uh, the winter break. Um, Juventus looked nervous uh, in the opening stages, uh, as you might expect, having lost 3-0 to Fiorentina at the Allianz Stadium uh, on the 23rd of December. And it looked like that game was going to go the same way as well when Rodrigo de Paul put um, Udinese in front only for uh, the video assistant referee to intervene and, and rule it out for, for a handball. Um, Juventus only really kind of settled into the game when Cristiano scored, matching Pelé's record if, 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 if the record is to be believed. In what, Santos will come and... up with a new one soon, don't worry. <laughs> That's what they do. Um, and then in the second half, Juventus... Played better, but again, um, Udinese hit the woodwork twice. Um, I think, uh, yeah, the encouraging things for, for, for Juventus are Ronaldo keeps scoring 20 goals in all competitions for club and country so far this season. Uh, even though he's had time out with COVID, he's had time out injured. Um, Ramsey played very well, deserved a goal, had one ruled out. And this one was 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 pretty key in, in Cristiano's opener. And Chiesa's been playing uh, playing well as well. So those are the positives. But again, you don't really quite know what you're going to get from from Juventus. Mm. Dybala with a goal as well. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo with, with the lovely assist yeah. for Chiesa's strike. Dybala's first goal in six months at the uh, at the Allianz Stadium. And yeah, speculation about his future continues to rumble on. Um, yeah, just before Christmas, though, is all the yeah he came out and basically said, "Look, I love Juventus. I'd like to sign a new contract, um, but my agent's been in Turin and he hasn't had a, a call to go for a meeting um, to talk about uh, this extension." Uh, Andrea Agnelli said that uh, he's had an offer on the table since uh, June, July, which would make him one of the top twenty paid players um, in Europe. Um, but uh, there's no progress on that um, at hmm. the moment, and. Uh, I think with Dybala, you know, as much as he would like uh, to stay at Juventus, uh, he's at the stage in his contract now where his uh, his value on on Juventus's books is such that they could make a massive profit on him if they mm. if they were to sell him um, either uh, in January, which I don't think will happen, um, or or the summer. So that seems to be hanging over him. He, he hasn't really played um, anywhere near the level um, that he got the Serie A MVP award. Um, at the end of last season but he did decide games like uh, the one that is on Wednesday um, you know remember what was it last November we're talking November 2019 he came on for Cristiano Ronaldo who stormed down the tunnel um, and he scored the only goal of the game uh, against Milan so uh, but it's a very different Milan side uh, mm. the one he, he comes up against a very confident one um, uh, this midweek yeah, well, a Milan side that won 2-0 away at Benevento. Benevento managed by Milan legend Pippo Inzaghi. This despite going down to 10 men half an hour in after Sandro Tonali saw red. Uh, Frank Kessie had already put them 1-0 up, Milan, with a uh, penalty uh, 15 minutes in. But the second of the goals was something pretty special. Ci sono Leao e Kessi. Leao arriva prima di Montipo che ha lasciato la porta vuota. Calcia Leao col tocco sotto. Leao e il Milan raddoppia. Rafael Leao uh, doing it again. Hey. I mean, 
we saw him score the fastest goal in Serie A history before Christmas. Um, he's at it again this this time out. It's, it's reminiscent of one that Mertens has scored or El Shawari as well, where he, he takes it away uh, from the goalkeeper and he looks like he's he's too far out, too wide to be able to uh, to score, and yet uh, instinctively turns and curls one over the goalkeeper uh, Montipo. Um, who perhaps could have done better, but I think there's there's a great image on social media of uh, Leao's face just as he uh, he hits the shot, and he's got a smile so wide, it's, he just knows it's going in, and uh, it's it's brilliant. And I think Leao um, has really come up big uh, whilst Ibrahimovic has been out since he he got injured against Napoli in that man of the match uh, performance that he put in in, in Naples, and Kessie as well. Kessie, remember who? has a really good record uh, from the spot. Uh, and Zlatan decided he was going to take penalty kicks, missed a few, and then Kessie has basically come in and started taking them again and scoring them. Um, and so, again, Milan win without Benacer, they win without Zlatan, they win without the suspended Teo Hernandez, who scored that stoppage time win against Lazio in the final game before Christmas. Um, you mentioned that, you know, Tenali gets sent off. They're down for 10 men for an hour. Uh, Benevento hit the post. Donnarumma again, um, showing not only uh, incredible goalkeeping ability but leadership as well from the back. Um, and uh, this was a, a win, much like the one against Lazio, which makes you think that it's Milan's year. Mm. Um, but Inter have won eight in a row, as I said. Uh, mm. We're not halfway through the the season yet, and uh, Inter only a point behind them. Um, so I think this month in particular is going to be massive because. Uh, Juventus going to this game against Milan 10 points behind them um, albeit with a game in hand but if they lose they would be 13 points behind them and then they've got Sassuolo Inter uh, in the Debbie d'Italia and they've got the, the Supercoppa against uh, Napoli so January is is usually kind of mock exam month for for those children who are lucky enough to get to school um, and, uh, and it's very much uh, Full-on exam month for Andrea Pirlo as we as wow, we Wow, that would this, make a brilliant months. intro to an article, James. <laughs> Perhaps. Just saying, you know. <laughs> now, um, in, in related news, a lot of talk about Sami Kadira's future. We'll come on to that soon enough when we get on to uh, the week's transfer talk now that, you know, January's underway. Uh, but can you guarantee goals Wednesday night? Is it going to be a really special sizzling clash between Milan and Juve like that 4-2 back in the summer? Yeah, I think so. Um, because Milan uh, have scored two goals or at least two goals a game for, well, since since the dawn of time. It feels that that long now that they've been on this incredible run of, of just being able to score. Again, you know, some speculation when Zlatan got injured, oh, Milan need to go into the transfer market and sign a striker. No, they don't. They they keep finding goals from Leao. They keep finding goals from Kessi Teo Hernandez. I think they're their only team in top in the top five leagues to have four or five players with four or more goals. And then Juventus have got Cristiano uh, and play such a kind of open style of football, which I don't think is entirely intentional a lot of the time, um, that um, you know, you'd predict predict goals uh, in this game. So, yeah, no, it should, should, be, should be fun. Wednesday night. All right, next up, we're off to Germany. 
This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. You're listening to The Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media and The Athletic. This weekend, the Bundesliga was back in action. Sunday saw Bayern hosting a Mainz side managed by Jan Sievert, you know, out of Huddersfield Town. And they got off to a cracking start. They did. Uh, they scored two goals. And they were two 0 up. Right, um, dangerous scoreline. It is a. Da- it was certainly a dangerous scoreline for Mainz because Bayern felt provoked, felt disrespected, and came back and absolutely crushed them. However, they had a chance to score a third goal, which Manuel Neuer uh, saved really, really well. So it could have gone differently, but in the end, the might of Bayern crushing crushing any resistance from Mainz but yeah it was the eighth time they actually started a, a game going at least one goal behind um, but only the only time since 1988 that they've actually come back from a 2-0 down scoreline so 2-0 has been a dangerous scoreline for Bayern when they've been on the receiving end are you are you worried Raf or is there any any form of worry to have because they keep Considering first, and of of course they come back, but there will be a time maybe where they they won't be able to come back, or 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 you just think that it's just because there's a few reasons uh, and that things will get better. I mean, Jules, why would I be worried personally? I'm not invested at all in this Bayern Munich team, as you of know. Course, yes. But of course, they might be worried, um, making these uh, slow starts a bit of a pattern. I guess it's easy to approach games perhaps not on the right mindset when you know you have so much in reserve mm. both mindset on the pitch, i like it mm. but also <laughs> on the bench that you can effectively get away with with starting slowly and i think until they get punished which only happened once since november 2019 that's the only game they've lo- they lost uh, against hoffenheim Talking about it, Hansi Flick made some pretty radical changes at halftime, taking off your friend Benjamin Pavard. Yeah, he had a pretty bad, ropey yeah. game and put yeah. uh, Joshua Kimmich on his right back. So really major surgery, if you will. But of course, Bayern, even at uh, 60%, 70%, just far too much for this Mainz team. Mm. Kimmich marking his return, first game since early November, with a goal. Lewandowski capping the scoring off with a brace, which takes him to 19 in 14 league matches. This season so far keeps Bayern top of the table, two points ahead of RB Leipzig. Big games coming up next weekend as Bayern travel to Munchen Gladbach and Leipzig host a Dortmund side who themselves had an important win this weekend. 2-0 over their uh, rivals for a top four spot. Wolfsburg and Erling Haaland returning to the Dortmund lineup for this game, Rafa. Erling Haaland returning, but more importantly perhaps is Jaden Sancho returning to the goal scorers uh, column because... He, as we said earlier in the intro, hadn't scored for a long, long time. All sorts of theories or explanations why he's been a little bit off the boil. Hans-Joachim Watzke, the CEO, came out on Monday in a lengthy interview with Kicker saying he was perhaps in his mind 
already at Man United at some point in the summer and found it hard to deal with the fact that a transfer didn't happen. Now, um, that's been a long time uh, coming, I guess. But he's got a beautiful goal. And with him and Haaland being together on the pitch again, I think Dortmund can be a lot more confident that the very minimum of their targets this year, which is to finish top four, will once again be achieved. But unfortunately, they've dropped already so many points that it's going to be difficult for them to put any real pressure on on either Leipzig or Bayern, even if they were to win that huge game against Leipzig next weekend. Mm. Holland didn't score himself, but he did look very lively. Uh, the Sancho goal, though, is worth reflecting on a little bit, especially if you're a fan of defenders left sprawling in the wake of, a, of an attacking player. Because uh, So it's Chan, wasn't it, who, who hoofs the ball upfield for Sancho, and then Sancho's marked closely by a Wolfsburg defender and then what happened? Der Ball für Jaden Sancho ist er auf dem Weg zu seinem ersten Saisontor setzt sich noch einmal durch Sancho Ja! Ja! Well Sancho basically just twists twists him inside out um, a couple of times and then runs past him and slots home it's a beautiful individual goal um, and exciting because you can see it quite literally coming um, you know there's a long run up and he he does he does score and it came as a huge relief I think both for him and the team to see that Sancho is is back uh, being a little bit more efficient because he's a huge player for them and he was so so influential last year when it comes to not just being part of the team but actually being somebody who makes a real difference both from assists and and goals and they're a different team if they have that bit of efficiency up front so. I think enough for Dortmund going forward to feel fairly happy about themselves under their interim manager, Edin Terzic. But defensively, there are quite a few pretty shaky moments still. And Oliver Glasner, the Wolfsburg coach, making the point that he felt that Wolfsburg had done enough to, to get more out of the game. And I, I think Dortmund got a little bit lucky by the way that the game went for them this time. Mm. We'll talk about uh, some of the other results from the Bundesliga this weekend and that absolutely insane goal for Bayer Leverkusen later on. But meantime, speaking of uh, Dortmund and Sancho and Haaland, uh, what are the latest transfer rumours that we should be catching up on? Uh, what's the latest on notions of Man United maybe making a swoop for a Dortmund star? Rafa? It's all very quiet on that front. Um, this winter, I don't think Dortmund want to sell any of their big players. Um, in fact, it's, I think, almost impossible um, to to think that there is a chance it'll happen. Uh, Julian Brandt, though, is one player that has been linked with Arsenal uh, in, in some of the papers in Germany. I am not sure that Arsenal have the kind of money to make that happen. I'm not sure Dortmund would be willing to simply loan him because he is still a very useful member of the squad, even though he's no longer a regular at this point. Um, and there's the additional thing which perhaps hasn't been fully understood is that he's no longer a number 10 or, or even a wide player. Um, he now mostly plays as a number eight. And I think Arsenal are perhaps in the market for somebody a little bit more technical and more in the orthodox number 10 role between the lines and he's no longer that player so I would treat that rumour with a bit of caution Okay uh, Man United are James I think I'm right in saying looking to bring in Amadiallo from Atalanta 
Yeah, he was uh, in Rome this weekend, uh, getting the final bits of paperwork, I think, uh, before completing his his move, a move that was agreed um, back in the autumn. He had to satisfy uh, various work permit criteria before he could uh, join. Uh, Giampiero Gasparini, the Atlantic coach at the weekend, said that um, yeah, he would like to keep him on loan until the end of the season um, because with this situation with Papu Gomez, there's been a clash between him and the manager. He thinks there might be some more game time uh, for uh, Traore between now and the end of the season, particularly when the Coppa Italia starts and uh, the Champions League comes back. Um, but uh, from what we understand, United's intention is to uh, is to bring him uh, to England straight away and integrate him uh, in the United uh, setup uh, between now and the end of the season. So, uh, yeah, Gasparini after. Uh, that great win that they had over Sassuolo on Sunday basically said, look, you know, when he mentioned Traore's name, he perhaps wasn't aware, fully aware of, of the situation that he'd got the work permit and that he could complete that move. And that's why uh, he was suggesting that Traore could be an in-house solution. But uh, certainly someone who's been uh, very highly rated the last two years, even though he's he's made only a handful of appearances uh, for, for Atlanta, been a big part of their youth team. Uh, which has done well in the UEFA Youth League, only put out by Lyon, who have one of the best academies in in Europe, as as Jules well knows, and has been part of a team that's won the under nineteen title in 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 Serie A. I think the last couple of years. So exciting, exciting prospect. Okay, uh, Alvaro, what's the latest on Diego Costa's likely destination? Well, according to reports from Spain, um, Diego Costa is. May be close to sign for Wolverhampton Wanderers. The thing is that his options are reduced uh, since the very moment that Atletico de Madrid doesn't let him go to any club that is fighting for the Champions League or for the domestic title in Spain, uh, because Diego Costa will have to face a penalty in case he signs for any club that is rivaling with Atletico de Madrid. So yeah, Diego Costa is one of the guys that um, obviously uh, will be very interesting for a team like Wolverhampton Wanderers. And the question is, uh, will Atletico de Madrid sign a striker uh, who can uh, you know, share the minutes with Luis Suarez? Because Milic is one of those players that could fit in Atletico de Madrid's uh, squad um, as a number nine, as a replacement for Luis Suarez. And yeah, that, that is the biggest rumor at the minute in Spain. Okay. Uh, Milic is, is one of the many players who are, as of January, now free to talk to clubs about a move for free at the end of the season. Others on that list include Giroud, linked with Juventus, Donnarumma, uh, Alaba, Memphis Depay, Aguero, Mesut Ozil, Leo Messi, of course. Tim Smith says, apologies if you've already talked about this, but from the list of the soon possible free agents, which move would you like to see in a dream scenario? Is it Ramos to Barcelona? <laughs> that would be fantastic that would be uh, honestly it would blow many people's mind uh, but Sergio Ramos the problem with uh, Ramos which I don't think that the bridge is burnt between Real Madrid and Ramos when it comes to his contract extension but um, Real Madrid normally to players who are over 33, 34 years old Real Madrid is offering normally a one year extension and Sergio Ramos apparently wants two years and uh, yeah, uh, both parts are putting a little bit of pressure, uh, Florentino Perez, the president of Real Madrid probably is talking to the press René Ramos, Sergio Ramos' brother yesterday he retweeted this message someone will have to explain how we reach this point, 
allowing your captain to appear in lineups of players who can sign freely for any other club. So this was a message by written by a very well-known journalist in Spain and Sergio Ramos' brother, who is his agent, as well retweeted it. So, of course, both sides are putting a lot of pressure, but uh, it would be strange if Sergio Ramos leaves Real Madrid at the end because, you know, it's all... It would be like breaking a, a love story, really. I mean, Real Madrid president and Sergio Ramos like each other. Uh, he has been uh, captain in Real Madrid for years, a legend of the club, and I don't think that he will be leaving eventually. It is. It, it's bizarre, though, that the fact that he's, he's not been tied down. When you see how how much they've struggled without him in the side. Jules, what have you got in terms of transfers? Anyone from that list uh, or, or anything else that's in the offing, league wise It'd be interesting to see if Marcio Pochettino um, is quite active on the market now that he's John PSG, him and Leonardo. Um, we, I've discussed it already. They had a meeting already yesterday and today again. Uh, obviously, the, the link, the name... Uh, linked are former sp- current Spurs players as we mentioned before Dele Alli or Christian Eriksen I still think that Eriksen potentially he's the one that could uh, move to PSG uh, this month I, I still don't believe too much about the Dele Alli rumour but um, you would think that Pochettino in the negotiation before he signed his contract had some sort of assurances maybe that he will get at least one or two players this January if he feels like he does. Maybe he doesn't feel like he needs any, but if he does, that they will try to to um, to to make a couple of signings for him. Okay. Uh, Holy Raccoon says Kadira Sami Kadira has been heavily linked with the move to the Premier League. I think he said that to you actually, Rafa, when you you, you spoke to him recently. Uh, but Holy Raccoon asks James Horncastle, do you think that he has something in him still or does it have flop written all over it? Uh, latest reports have him heading towards Everton. Is, is that right? And what kind of prospects do you think uh, a club would have if they sign him? I thought it was interesting reading Raf's interview that um, he spoke about his time playing under Justin Mourinho, Spurs manager. Spoke about his time playing under Carlo Ancelotti, uh, Everton manager. I think... Uh, those are two teams that have kind of ambitions that uh, Sami Khedira is used to um, playing for, I suppose. Um, but you know, the, the, the reality is is that uh, it's been difficult for him to get onto the pitch. I wouldn't say this season. I think this season it's been more of a political reason, um, as we saw with Mario Mandzukic this time last year. You know, Juventus wanted to uh, cut costs uh, last summer move some players, some high earners out. Uh, they were able to do that and come to a resolution with Blaise Matuidi and Gonzalo Higuain. Uh, they weren't able to come to a solution with um, with Kadira. But from what I can gather, he's had, what, four, six months just where he can work on getting healthy and, and, and being ready for for what comes next. And I think that's that's pretty good if... Uh, you know, if, if, if you're someone looking into signing Sami Khedira, I don't know, Raf, Raf will know more. Well, I think clubs will have to obviously evaluate his his physical condition and, and make the decision of how long they feel he can still play at the required level. And I think it's been difficult for him to prove that to anyone without having the ability, as James said, to be actually on the pitch for Juventus. So you probably have to come in and um, do some kind of trial, which for him, with his CV, is is I guess a bit awkward but I can understand why clubs would be reluctant I think what's most likely and and James correct me if I'm wrong but uh, with his contract running for another six months if Juventus were to rescind the contract 
pay him out um, and then he would be able to move as a free agent now, obviously with some kind of proviso that he wouldn't lose some of the money that Juventus would otherwise pay him for and then maybe a club can get him um, on a six-month contract with a view of then extending that if it works out until the end of the season. Mm. All right then. Jules, I see that William Saliba is set to join Nice on loan from Arsenal, who signed him, what, a year ago. Has he not played a single minute for the Gunners in that time? No, only with the reserve. Only with What's the going on there? I just don't think Mikel Arteta thought he was ready uh, when he arrived from, from Saint-Étienne after the, the lockdown, the first lockdown, um, uh, and during the, the, during the summer. And so he didn't include him in the list of the, the, the Premier League squad, but also the... Uh, the Europa League squad, so he could only play with the reserve, which he did. Uh, had some good performances, others maybe not so good because he was a bit frustrated maybe to play at that level. He got sent off uh, once. But just wanted was to play first-team football, you know, so he was happy to to, to go wh- whenever he could play. So he's gone to Nice, who are not in great form, changed managers no longer ago when Patrick Vieira was, was, uh, was sacked. But at least he will play very regularly for all the second half of the season and then he can come back to to Arsenal and and reassess his future and see what Arteta wants to do with him. Of course, the biggest transfer in Italy has already happened with uh, Super Mario Balotelli Mm. uh, joining Monza. Balotelli scored with more or less his first touch after coming on uh, when Serie B resumed. Uh, I'm just scrolling through Twitter. He suffered an injury um, in in, in a warm-up today. And uh, he's going to miss the game against Lecce. Get back on the pitch soon, Super Mario. We need to see some more of that with you and Kevin Prince-Boateng up front. And only one more, James. Real Madrid Loani Cubo, uh, who has been on loan to Villarreal, is set to go on loan to Getafe. He, has, uh, he hasn't uh, featured a lot for Unai Emery's side. Uh, his contribution has been marginal, really. And Getafe could use some uh, goals and some skills up front, considering that they have scored only 12 goals this season. No other major transfer rumours at the moment. That's all the fault of that new, those new regulations, I imagine, eh? Keeping the likes of West Brom from signing top European talent. All right, well, with, uh, with things quiet then on other transfer stories, let's head off to La Liga and get the latest there. Welcome back to the ground. Tickets, please. Thank you, madam. And let's see, sir. Oh, sorry, no, you're in tier three. No, I ain't. We're in tier two. We're allowed to be here. You can't take away my freedom. Tier three of the stadium over there. Donut. What? Uh, By the donut stand. Stadiums might not yet be full, but Paddy Power's offers are at full capacity. If one leg of your 4 plus 4 Acker lets you down, get a free bet on all football and all markets. Paddy Power. Max free bet £10. Min odds 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive. Exclude. Shop bets. T's and C's apply. It's in plus begambleaware.org. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Alvaro, La Liga, normal service, a little bit more resumed these days. Big three all winning this weekend. Real Sociedad and Sevilla drawing. So Barcelona now moved up to fifth place. They're still 10 points, though, behind Atletico Madrid at the top. As you say, Atletico Madrid had a pretty narrow victory uh, this time around, 2-1 at Alaves. Real Madrid beating Celta Vigo 2-0. Barcelona 1-0 at 
bottom of the table, Huesca. Not everyone was terribly happy with Kuman's approach in this game. No, 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 of course not. Uh, I, I find it funny, uh, first, that uh, you have said the big three or something like that in your introduction, because mm. <laughs> literally a decade ago, you would have never said that. So the fact that Atletico de Madrid starts the decade... Uh, Basically, leading the Spanish table, it's something quite big. So Simeone's contribution can never go unnoticed. And uh, yes, Barcelona is one of these teams that uh, at the minute they are looking for their best football. They cannot find it. Uh, it's not only about the injuries they've got. It's also because Ronald Koeman is trying everything. Lionel Messi said a week ago that Barcelona is in good hands with Ronald Koeman, that he wasn't right to sign him. But uh, the truth is that, um, you know, you have the feeling that this Barcelona is transitional and uh, every narrative you want to establish today will be gone tomorrow because Kumar is making many changes. And uh, look, at the end of the day, Barcelona won the game. Uh, I think that for 60 minutes they were far superior to the team that is bottom of the table in Spain. Let's don't forget it. And it was good for Frankie de Jong to score a goal because uh, he has improved a lot uh, from December onwards. I thought he was... Frankie de Jong, a bit more magical when he when I saw him play for Ajax, but the truth is that he's a great uh, ball carrier. I mean, he runs with the ball fantastically, and uh, that energy altogether with Pedri's uh, technique in the midfield can be very pro promising looking ahead. And Pedri was fantastic as well. Uh, it's a real shame that uh, him and Messi will only crossover for a year or two uh, before Messi leaves or before Messi retires because I think that uh, Pedri and Messi would have had a similar a similar connection to Messi and Iniesta in the past and yeah uh, it was important for Barcelona to get the victory Lionel Messi as well in this game became the first non-Spanish player to make 500 La Liga appearances so this is here another uh, little record for the little man and yes a big win for, for Barcelona then Real Madrid won in their fashion, they didn't concede the goal. Um, Sergio Ramos wasn't available because he was feeling unwell, uh, nothing related to COVID-19. He was just uh, a bit sick. And uh, Zinedine Zidane didn't do a massive rotation, which is uh, what he has been doing since uh, losing the game in Donetsk. And uh, Asensio and Lucas Vázquez played uh, in the wings. And uh, it was good news to see that Marco Asensio was back to his best, or at least somewhere close to his best, uh, giving one assist, uh, very clever one. Uh, he's a player that uh, always before crossing or before shooting, he looks at what he wants to do. Nothing he does is uh, coincidental. Uh, that's why he looks like a classy player in most of his actions. And he scored the goal, he gave an assist. And uh, yeah, it was good for Real Madrid as well. And also, considering that Celta was in a good run and Real Madrid managed to stop them, also, because Diago Aspas had to retire from the game in the 51st minute, I believe, uh, with an injury. Well, that was all good news for Real Madrid on Saturday evening. And uh, when it comes to Atletico, uh, I was a bit busy reading about uh, what um, Lucas Torreira and uh, Jiménez, both Atletico de Madrid players, have um, retweeted now. Basically, it's a statement done by the Uruguayan PFA, Basically, the statement condemns the arbitrary conduct of the English FA. I'm just quoting the statement. Uh, they consider the act against Cavani as discriminatory uh, against the culture of life of Uruguayan people. They consider it as well biased, dogmatic and ethnocentric. And the Uruguayan PFA is requesting the English FA to overturn the sanction to Edinson Cavani. So that, that it was discriminatory of them to ban him for what they considered a discriminatory bit, yeah. of, bit of language. And I'm, I'm, I'm not by that suggesting that they're necessarily wrong. I think there's a, a fair amount of a, a fairly strong argument that it was a, a, a very unfair suspension. Meantime, uh, the 
10 game, sorry, the 10 week suspension for Kieran Trippier for Atletico Madrid has currently been itself suspended. Yes, um, now Atletico de Madrid will prepare an appeal for FIFA. And if uh, this appeal doesn't succeed, then uh, Atletico can raise it to the court of arbitration of sport. Kieran uh, Trippier didn't play uh, in the weekend against Alaves, but now well, he's ready for Atletico de Madrid. Uh, because, as you said before, I mean, the, mm, the ban is in suspension and Atletico de Madrid needs Kieran Trippier a lot because he's one of the influential players on the right-hand side. Mm, excellent. Now, there's one midweek game in Spain and it sees Barcelona taking on your lot. Alvaro Athletic Club de Bilbao, who just fired their manager. I'm not entirely sure why, but they've appointed the man who was himself so ruthlessly axed at Valencia at the start of last season, Marcelino. Yeah, and uh, well, let's see if Marcelino does a good job. It's not going to be easy because I think that it's difficult to get anything better from Athletic de Bilbao squad than being ninth on the table, maybe seventh. Uh, but the thing is that Athletic de Bilbao under Gaisca Garitano has been. Uh, sometimes a bit boring to watch, um, but the reality is that the man has been uh, questioned for almost half a year. Uh, losing against Real Sociedad on the 31st of December, I think that that was um, the turning point. In fairness to Garitano, uh, he made Athletic solid, physical, when the team needed that. Uh, with Eduardo Berizzo, two years ago, the team didn't look good. And Athletic is solid and physical, which are characteristics that you will associate to Athletic de Bilbao. And that's why I am a little bit surprised that uh, he got so much stick, the manager, because uh, Athletic de Bilbao has been entertaining at times in history, but normally they start doing the basics, and Athletic de Bilbao is good doing the basics. Uh, as I said before, they've got a really good, strong uh, defensive structure, uh, a, a good backbone, uh, but the level of... Uh, the level of uh, detachment with Athletic de Bilbao among the fan base was quite big. I don't live in Bilbao nowadays, uh, but I am close, uh, in close contact with the city, with the uh, season members, with the fan base, and uh, they were all detached uh, this season. Uh, there was a lack of enthusiasm, and I don't think that Athletic de Bilbao can afford a lack of enthusiasm because uh, in Bilbao, a city which, uh, uncharacteristically in Spain, Everyone supports the local club, because if you go to any other city in Spain or to many others, they will tell you I support Barcelona or Real Madrid and then my local club. Athletic de Bilbao cannot afford to have um, a fan base that is detached, because uh, for every, every person in there uh, or every child in there, the, the dream should be to play for Athletic de Bilbao, because it's possible. I mean, uh, throughout history, I've seen really average players playing for Athletic Club Bilbao, because there were no any other players in their position. Uh, among the two or three million Basque inhabitants. I mean, for 10 years, since Delorno went to Chelsea, for example, until Yuri Berchice came from PSG, Athletic Bilbao has had really average left-backs that maybe they weren't even top-flight material, but there were no better players in the Basque country at that position. So I think uh, you have to take all that into consideration uh, before telling Marcelino or asking Marcelino for big targets. I mean, this mm. is a man who won a title with Valencia, with a better team than Athletic de Bilbao has, 18 months ago. And now Marcelino has a tough job ahead of himself because he, he has to get ready very quickly because Athletic Club is playing the Super Cup on the 13th of January. There mm -hmm. it is an opportunity for him as well. Maybe he can win a title for the club. And then on the 4th of April, there will be a cup final against Real Sociedad. So, you know. He's a new manager, not necessarily the most beloved man in Bilbao, but he's got two chances uh, within four months to win two titles. 
and Athletic de Bilbao hasn't won a major title since 1984. So hopefully wow. Marcelino will be the man who will lead us to that. He'll need to hit the ground running though because he's got Barcelona to start off with this midweek and then at the weekend up against Liga leaders Atletico Madrid. If you're hungry for more word on what else happened in Serie A this weekend and all those ridiculously filthy goals that James Horncastle was talking about at the start, then stay tuned because that's up next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. James Horncastle, big weekend for Nerazzurri. Inter remaining just a point behind Milan in Serie A after their 6-2 win over Crotone. Atalanta also playing in blue and black, beginning the post-Papu era with a thrashing of Sassuolo. Sassuolo confirming their status as the new Atalanta by shipping five goals and looking generally paper thin at the back. Yes, James. Um, it was probably the most impressive uh, Atalanta have been in uh, in the league this season. Um, as you mentioned, this this issue with Papu uh, still unresolved. And uh, although uh, the start of the new year, there was there was some talk that uh, there was going to be a thaw in the in the relationship between not only him and Gasparini, but him and the club. Um, yeah, that hasn't come come to pass. Um, and uh, they were playing Matteo Pessina. Uh, behind uh, Zapata, Ilicic, uh, and they looked so good, um, so so good. Pesina, who was uh, had a very good loan spell on uh, with Verona last year under Ivan Juric, who's a bit of a disciple of Gasparini's, but uh, Zapata was unplayable. And I suppose one of the real storylines at the end of last uh, year uh, and the start of this one is that Josip Ilicic looks looks back to his best. I mean, his mm. uh, his assist for that uh, sliding Pesina scissor kick. Um, was was just delightful. Um, yeah, Zapata bullied Kiriquez. Froiler was good. So, yeah, a lot to suggest that, as was the case this time last year, when the Champions League group stages are done, uh, Atlanta have that time uh, to be fresh uh, going into games. Um, yeah, their squad can breed a little bit in terms of uh, the depth that it's got, and uh, you know they might now between now and may go and score 700 goals uh, that's that's very much the, the the feeling that they that they give off um but at the moment the top scorers in the league are inter and they mm. were even before this game um which you know started uh in kind of typical january fashion for inter in that they went behind and you thought oh here we go again they're gonna go through a slump uh as they come back for the new year but uh Oh no, they were able to even shake off another mistake from Arturo Vidal, who, you know, I think even Conte at the end of this game was saying, why am I playing this guy? Uh, because he gave away a silly penalty, very similar to the one he gave up against Gladbach. But it didn't matter because uh, Lautaro Martinez scored a hat trick. Uh, yeah, Lukaku only got one goal on the day, but he had an assist and a couple of pre assists, if you want to go, go that, uh, that far as well. Uh, his goal was pretty reminiscent of Adriano at his best. And uh, Inter on this incredible run of eight straight wins since going out of Europe um, altogether. Uh, and we kind of know what happens when Conte goes on these uh, incredible winning streaks. It's, they, they, 
they catch everybody else up and then they leave everyone else behind. And uh, I think uh, that might well be the the sense going uh, going into into this January run of games because the squad is very deep. Yeah, you know, they've sent Nyingalan back to Cagliari. They'll try and move Ericsson on, although I think. That's going to be pretty tough, um, considering his uh, wages, and that they they need to bring in about twenty one million euro just not to make a loss on signing <laughs> Christian Eriksen, who is the big uh, the big draw of, of last year's trans- transfer window. Um, but yeah, Conte Conte pretty pleased with the way things are going. So into looking formidable. Mm, all right. Roma a third after their 1-0 win over Sam. Lazio got held to a 1-1 draw at Genoa, surprisingly, while there were a couple of fantastic goals from Zielinski as Napoli powered to a 4-1 win at Cagliari. Are they allowed out of Retiro now, Napoli, as a result of that? <laughs> and also, where does Zielinski's goal and indeed the sliding scissor kick from Pessina stand in your top five of City goals this weekend? Second and third, James, or maybe even third and fourth because... Mm. Uh, we talked about Leao's, but Zakanyi's Zakanyi's for for Verona was was pretty special as well. The bicycle kick, what a build up as well. Yeah, Verona, who uh, uh, yeah should not be a surprise given that they were last year's revelation uh, in Syria, um, but they should still be considered that way because basically it's a completely different team apart from uh, Zakanyi. Uh, playing for them because they sold the spine of that side. I mentioned Pessina's now at Atalanta, Rachmani is at Napoli, Amrabat's at Fiorentina. Um, it could could go on, but um, yeah, Juric doing uh, doing good things with this team. And Zakani, who got himself in the Italy squad, was Player of the Month, at least the kind of PFA's Player of the Month um, in November after an excellent performance against Milan. Looks like uh, well. At 25, he might not be long for Verona. I think uh, some of the top clubs in Italy will be looking at him and uh, certainly that uh, that bicycle kick goes straight to the top of his highlight reel. Yeah, if you check out only one goal this weekend from Serie A, then not sure what you're doing with the rest of your time, but make sure it is Zaccagni. Um An amazing goal, but possibly Raphael Honigstein not the best goal scored this weekend. I think Nadim Amiri's goal was just so beautiful in its execution, but also in its approach for Leverkusen. Um, Florian Wirtz, 17-year-old wonder kid of the Bundesliga, um, chipping the ball through. Amiri got a little bit lucky the way he kind of spun around and the ball bounced off one of the defenders into his path. What? But, what? <laughs> no, he, yeah, he, I agree. Yeah, he, he did. Pirouettes, he pirouettes. Yeah, but, pirouetting. But it not yeah, but it actually defender. comes off, it actually comes off the defender. Yeah, But definitely. that was the, that was the cleverness of it. So that's he on nut makes one defender it's and not then exactly what he wanted to do. goalkeeper. No. I agree with Raf on this one. Listener, check out the highlights. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Anyway. Uh, he tries to take it on the turn. It bounces yep. off the defender, but into his path. And then he finds himself at a very acute angle, um, a little bit wide off the goal. Mm. So he improvises and basically turns around and back heels it through the legs of Kevin Trapp. What was he trying to do? He was trying to do exactly that. Okay. I don't know. Maybe you're right, Rafa, but check it out, <laughs> listener, because it's 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 gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Less gorgeous was the final score for Leverkusen because after that wonderful 
uh, strike. They ended up losing 2-1 to Eintracht Frankfurt. That's now back-to-back defeats for Peter Bosch's side. Uh, huge story, meanwhile, elsewhere over in Berlin this weekend with angry Tasmania Berlin fans gathering outside the Olympic Stadium on Saturday protesting Schalke ahead of Schalke's clash with Hertha. They were waving placards saying, das ist unser Rekord. That's our record, Rafa. Explain. I don't know if they were angry. I think they were trying. They were angry. To. <laughs> they, were, they were hoping that Schalke would would win a game because uh, they've now gone uh, twenty nine games, or they had gone twenty nine games without a win before right. going to Hertha. And Tasmania Berlin, famous for one thing and one thing only, which is the worst ever uh, performances in the Bundesliga season, going thirty one games without a win. And that was uh, the reason why they came to support Schalke effectively. Um, But to no avail, James, because Schalke went on to go their 30th game without a win, conceding three goals at Hertha for another defeat. Uh, Under Christian Gross, the new manager, whose um, lucky uh, shark tooth was not lucky on the occasion. Mm. So it's pretty, pretty grim for... Pretty good for Schalke. And a decent win for Hertha because Bruno Labbadia coming on a little bit under a little bit of pressure after you know one or two very unconvincing performances. I'm not sure the performance was all that good, but it was enough for Schalke and it was enough to quieten the uh, Labbadia debate in, in that part of Berlin. I see. Schalke will have the chance to tie Tasmanian Berlin's 31-game winless streak record when they play Hoffenheim at home this Saturday. And the following weekend, they will be at Eintracht Frankfurt themselves. And that is a year to the day since they last won a league match. Heady times for Schalke fans. Anything else from the Bundesliga we should know before we shut up shop for another week, Rafa? There's a big story in, um, in Stuttgart where Thomas Hitzelsberger who is the sporting director and uh, de facto sporting CEO, has now thrown his hat in the ring to be voted also the president of the club Hmm. um, against the incumbent, which is very unusual in German football because usually you have one guy standing for presidency and he gets the vote and that's it. But this looks as if it might be heading for a real election, which um, is causing all sorts of uh, problems and and, uh, uh, real infighting in Stuttgart, despite their really decent start to the season. If you want to hear more about that, I would refer to you to the Starcast pod where our Stuttgart correspondent, Oliver Trust, explains all the ins and outs. Is he a voice you can trust? He is nominative determinism personified. <laughs> Lovely. Lovely. Okay, well, that's pretty much the end of today's show. But before we finish, a reminder that uh, Milan Juve is coming up on Wednesday and James Horncastle is guaranteeing goals. And he'll buy everyone lunch, I think, if that doesn't go through. And Alvaro, you also would like to mention the Seville Derby, which I hold my hands up. I completely sailed past when we were discussing what happened in La Liga this weekend. How was it, Alvaro? It was a good game. And Betis deserved more. In fact, uh, Fekir missed a penalty that uh, could have given Betis the three points. And uh, the funny thing about all that is that probably Fekir wasn't entitled to take that penalty because the the player who takes the penalties in Betis is Sergio Canales. Um, he was supposed to play only one half because he's back from an injury. In fact, Canales scored the only goal of Betis in that game against Sevilla. 
and um, then Fekir took the second penalty because he provoked it as well and he missed it. And uh, when they asked Pellegrini in the press conference, why is it that Canales was on the pitch and he didn't take the penalty and Fekir took it? Uh, Pellegrini came out with a very weird explanation. He said that he thought that Canales was going to play only one half. And therefore, when the second penalty was given, uh, despite Canales being on the pitch, since uh, Canales shouldn't be there, uh, because he was going to play only one half, Fekir took it. But it was a bit weird, because uh, the planification, if that was uh, what Pellegrini wanted, didn't work at all. I mean, Canales is the specialist in Betis, and Fekir missed it, despite playing well. And yeah, it's a draw that uh, probably doesn't satisfy Sevilla at all, because they want to be uh, you know, third or second in the table, if possible. And Betis will be fine with it, because uh, they have had such a terrible run of results, especially... Um, when it comes to losing, they have conceded many goals. So getting a draw against Sevilla at this stage for Betis is a very positive result. OK. Well then, hope that's helped you, everyone, with uh, getting up to speed on all the big stories around Europe. We'll be back next Tuesday with more of the same. Do hope you enjoy your football. In the meantime, it's all that we have left. Uh, James Horncastle, Julian Ronaldo, Romeo, Rafael Honigstein and you, listener, thank you very much. Continue to have a happy new year. We'll catch up with you next week. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.